Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. Welcome to Beyond the Rut, the weekly podcast that discusses faith, family, fitness, finances, and future possibility. I'm one of your hosts, Jerry. And in just a moment, Brandon is going to join us as we have a conversation with author and TEDx speaker, Steve Kahn. Steve is going to talk about why you should consider jumping into and working for a startup company. There are over 46,000 startups in the United States right now. And the one thing that they're looking for across the board is top talent. They're looking for you. And for you to make that leap from your comfort zone, there are probably some questions you need to ask. Is that CEO in it for the right reasons? Does that CEO know what she's doing or he's doing? And does that company align with your values, your potential, and all that good stuff? So sit back and relax, unless you're driving. In that case, we need to stay safe and get to where you're going safely as we have a conversation with Steve about startups and how to choose whether or not working for one is right for you. Here we go. All right. Hey, Brandon, welcome back to your own show. And uh, I want to say welcome back, period, but you've <laughs> stayed in Corpus Christi. I'm back in town today. Anyway, how are you? I've actually been traveling all over the world. I, you have I've, not. I've been visiting places and giving people hugs and licking handrails, you know, licking handrails, yeah. doing all kinds of crazy stuff. How you're still alive, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I don't normally go a whole lot of places just in my day to day life, but I have stayed pretty much within probably five miles of my house over the last six weeks. Um, Yeah, I've never had the travel bug more than the last month and a half to two months during the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, But, yeah, still practice the social distancing, keeping people feeling safe and all that good stuff. Uh, But anyway, we're not on today to have another episode where we're talking about coronavirus. (laughs) We're over that. It's over. We're done. We brought on a special guest, Steve Cahan, who is author of a book called Be a Startup Superstar. Uh, He is currently the chief marketing officer for Thycotic. Yeah, I think I said that correctly. How are you doing, Steve? Calling in from Galveston. I am doing great. Thank you for having me. Nice. And did I say the company incorrectly? Thycotic? I you probably should have done my perfectly awesome. correct. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. What is, uh, so I'm assuming that was one of the startups you've been a part of recently. And then after it got up and running or at some point during the startup, you shifted into chief marketing officer. Is that correct? Well, the, the company, uh, Thycotic, uh, actually started, it got to a few, few million and it sort of grew past where the founder could take it. Uh, I joined at that point along with uh, uh, one other individual, and uh, in four little over four years, we've taken it from a few million to north of a of a hundred million. It is basically a, an arm of the Vatican, and yeah. oh, it's not. I don't think so. Cybersecurity, I think, <laughs> probably sounds closer. Yeah, it's all about <laughs> cybersecurity, securing privileged passwords that are associated with the infrastructure that every company has. Nice. And and that's also so vital because sometimes we get lazy with our passwords and, and things like that. So we definitely need something like that, but you, you decided that you wanted to kind of break out of that corporate life. What, 
what kind of uh, get us on the trail of what made that start? Yeah, because so many of us are told that you know the way to go in life is you go to school, yeah. get your grades, get a good job in a corporate uh, position somewhere, and stay there until you get the retirement. It's all about the bennies. And go and home and die. <laughs> for you, though, you discovered that you know having your own business, starting your own business, running your own business, owning your own business is really the way to go to have a secure life. So I think that's. Same thing Brandon just said, but different words. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what I found out is very similar to what you said, is that for me anyways, the the traditional path from school to climbing the corporate ladder, I learned could not only be high risk for my career, in many ways, it, it felt like a, a death trap. And much like what you just said, is that I remember my father telling me so many times when I was growing up, he'd say, Steve, get your degree, go to work for a large company. You work hard, they'll take care of you, you'll have a great career. And then, of course, he would say, except your mother and I would much prefer that you become a doctor or a lawyer, mm-hmm. <laughs> but of short of that, getting a job at a large company will do. So that, that was a path I took. So I graduated, I went to work for a large organization, basically processing claims, and and I remember uh, sort of staring at my bank statement and the pile of claims I was supposed to process that day. And I was down to about $50 in my bank account. And I was thinking, how on earth am I ever going to get ahead? I'd work long hours. And for me at that time, the student loans would take a hold of my paycheck before it ever (laughs) hit my bank account. And so I finally asked myself an important question. And that was, How could I better earn a great living and love the work I do? And I quickly realized that that for me, that I was more um, of an entrepreneurial type person and that working in a large corporation just wouldn't be where I would be able to have personal, professional, financial success that I had dreamed for myself. So I made my leap to the startup world. And since that time, I've worked with six, now seven startup companies, all of whom successfully sold or have gone public, uh, generating over $3 billion in shareholder value. Well, that'll nice. work. I, now, the, the obvious question is, are your parents happy with your decision? Uh, or are they disappointed? <laughs> well, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, actually, I think they're, they're very happy with the decision that I made. And I just actually celebrated uh, birthday number 58. And we all family got on Zoom as we're doing now with birthdays or special occasions. And everybody sort of goes around the Zoom cameras and says some special words about the particular person of that's being celebrated that day. And so I, I heard, had a chance to hear some special words. So I guess based on that, I would say that they're quite happy with the route. That <laughs> nice. That's always good. Get a little encouragement there. Uh, now, now processing these claims and, and this company you worked for, I, I loved one of the things you had said in your TEDx talk was uh, you, you worked in a nondescript building. And for most people, that probably didn't mean too much, but, but I feel the same way. Sometimes I'm like checking in and out of a jail cell almost because you just walk in, sit down in your cell for eight to 10 hours and walk back out. What, what kind of thought processes were you going through there with the just walking in and out of the building whenever you were, you knew that your spirit wanted you somewhere else, but your job was right here? Yeah. When you walked into that, sort of nondescript office building, 
And really, to me, and it's always been this way, is that the building or the space could be, it could be super startup cool, or it could be really kind of bland, just a sea of cubicles. And it never really mattered to me. It, it, what it really comes down to is the culture and the people. And what I uh, came to learn, at least where I was, was that the, the large um, organization was kind of burdened with incumbent mindsets uh, everyone sort of had their pigeonholed, smaller role. The barriers to inv- advancement were were high, and the bureaucracy was was significant. The acceptance of the status quo, and that's the way we always right. do things around here, was there. And it was like a giant ship. It was hard to maneuver and slow to change course. And really what I thought that I needed in my career and what I've found so many others do as well is they want to uh, sort of be like a speedboat darting around the giant ship. They, they want more innovation, more of a sort of nimble startup mentality, a better chance to get to the C-suite. And, and uh, you know, certainly sometimes in those environments, there's more risks and frequent change, less to Define career paths, but uh, but that was more of the uh, environment that I desired versus the environment I was walking into. I I love that mentality because that's really what this podcast is about, and a lot of our audience feel that way. It's like I, the security scares me more than the risk because I'm scared of looking up one day and being 60 or 70 years old and 30, 40 years in a company, but I didn't really make an impact. I didn't do anything important. So that level of significance is important and important to you, obviously, because you went out there and, and tried a few things. So you've been, you know, obviously successful, but let us, let us in on a little bit of what maybe you stumbled right out of the gate or maybe something that you knew would work, but maybe didn't. Well, what, what I sort of, um, where I stumbled out of the gate is where a lot of people stumble in particular when they think about startups, right? And that is, is that at startups, you have got to work your tail off, right? So sort of hard work is kind of the price you pay for the success that you hope to achieve. And I was very much, uh, a workaholic and, and that's a little bit in my DNA, but what, what I learned was that uh, that actually I could have, and I never really liked sort of the term work-life balance because I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer and almost that term suggests that there is and that in and of itself is stressful. And what I learned yeah. though was how to uh, protect my calendar and make myself the most important person on my calendar and that sort of changed everything. And so um, you know, what I did was I, I live by my calendar and probably a lot of your listeners do too. And, and one thing you could do to just do a little self-check right now is that if you opened up your calendar for the next couple of weeks and take a look at it and how many meetings have you scheduled with yourself is the most important person on that, cal- on that calendar yourself. And when you think about it, what we're talking about here is scheduling time to be home for dinner or scheduling time to be able to work out if that's something that you enjoy doing, uh, perhaps at lunch, or even time to 
uh, focus on some self-education or to think strategically. And so what I did was I started blocking out that time to make sure that I would have kind of a a better work-life harmony and, and protect my calendar. And what that enabled me to do was to go from that person who was just chugging along at 12, 15-hour days, uh, just constantly on, to be able to really uh, have that good work-life harmony. And it was a lesson that I learned that was just hugely beneficial to my career. That That's a great way to look at it. And, and I'm the same way on my calendar. I have uh, you know, my workouts, my, my time scheduled. Somebody had told me that years ago and saying no to meetings and, and, and things like that has always been huge to me because I realized if I didn't do that for myself, nobody else was, nobody was going to schedule workouts or just downtime for me if I didn't do that. So I, I, Jerry and I have been given that advice for years that that is probably the, the key to happiness in your day to day life is make that calendar work for you rather than somebody else say, Hey, we're going to have a meeting at five o'clock on Friday. It's like, nope, no, we're not. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to be there. Exactly. Now it's interesting. You, you talk about, you know, the startup and the startup mentality versus, you know, a much slower moving, very, uh, codified or codified, uh, corporate, uh, environment. And I myself had just gone from a large, uh, Nonprofit corporation or you know entity to a, a much smaller entity uh, in the name of you know promotion and and more opportunity and the biggest difference I've noticed is that I went from a big team of about forty four people where every division within that department had specialized taskings or uh, work and now I'm in a department where we have a total of four people uh, five if we count the um, the contractor we have. And so we do as much as the previous team I was on, but with a much smaller group of people. Right. Right? We're talking about four to five people versus 44. And so every one person on my team has to stretch their capabilities. So we don't have like one person who specializes in just in-person training. And we don't have one person who does just any one thing. Like we're wearing multiple hats and we're having to scramble to, to make new things happen for the organization. And we do it very leanly. Leanly? I don't know if that's a word, but it, it is today. Lingly is a uh, panda bear. I <laughs> no. Think. Okay. That's not where I was going with that. But anyway, uh, so I like that the opportunity with a startup is it has to be nimble. It has to stretch beyond traditional roles. Um, and it's an opportunity to not just focus on any one skill set, but you actually work on multiple skill sets. How do you see that being advantageous later in somebody's career when they start uh, – preparing for a leadership role? I think it's really important. So first, I would say that never forget is that the world pays for deep knowledge in one particular area. So for me personally, when I got started at my first startup, I was the first person hired into marketing. And what that meant was, was that if it was going to get done, it was going to be me who was doing it. And so I got a chance to do everything and I would just learn like a sponge. I'd seek out mentors and opportunities to learn and to to try everything and really to build my knowledge. And so what that enabled me to do is it kind of gave me the freedom to build deep knowledge. At least for me, it was in the domain of, of marketing. And then 
by as the company succeeded, I had the opportunity and already was surrounded uh, by some uh, absolutely A plus talent that was able to complement my skills, whether they were on my team or whether they were others who uh, within the organization that I can learn from. And then once you get that success, then of course what happens is is that people give you opportunities to go do other things, sometimes in other functional areas uh, or in uh, slightly aligned areas. And what was so cool about that is then I started to round out my skills, build more general management skill, which then prepares you to move into the C-suite. And so if you build deep knowledge, surround yourself with A-plus talent as best you can, and then go build that generalized knowledge, you really have an amazing opportunity to prepare, to prepare yourself for the C-suite. And uh, that, that was certainly the, the path that I was able to enjoy. And, and never forget, a, a small team of crazies hell-bent on changing the world <laughs> often do. Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I would much rather be surrounded by that than people that are just either with big degrees or they're just secure in them, their education so they don't change. And I like how you put, you know, you started working on those pieces of your skill set that you didn't have instead of just relying on past experience. You've got to continually grow and, and challenge yourself as, as you have over your career. You picked a few things that you didn't know how to do and you learned how to do them. Well, the business of marketing, for example, has changed dramatically. Uh, when I first got started versus where things are today are completely night and day. I mean, for example, marketing very much now is is very much about the, its finance. It's about the metrics. It's about contribution to revenue and and how the the conversions of the things that you do ultimately trickle down into revenue. And understanding those various triggers and, and numbers uh, and being on top of them on a daily basis is what marketing leaders are today. And so it is very much financial and numbers in nature, whereas when I started, it was not that uh, very much at all. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use Show to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content like podcast episodes or YouTube videos into CapShow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. CapShow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. Right. What would you say you see now in in new talent, young entrepreneurs, people that that want to kind of take your path, but they, of course, want shortcuts, as we all do? What would you say to somebody that was 20, 25 coming out of college that really felt that draw to entrepreneurship? Well, I would say to them two things. First, uh, one of the primary reasons to go join a startup uh, beyond some of the things that we've talked about are the financial incentives. And let me 
describe to you what I mean is that what you will find when you're uh, young in your career and then you're starting to achieve more and more success, even if you're more advanced, is that you'll start making more money. And that's great. And then a funny thing happens is that you get married, you buy a bigger house, you get cool cars, you go on vacations, and lo and behold, your expenses seem to go up pretty much in line <laughs> with whatever more you're making. And for the most diligent of investors, it's hard to get ahead. But if you're able to pick the right startup, which really is the second piece, which I can help uh, teach some of your listeners if you're of interest, is that uh, are the stock options. And if you pick the right startups and you get stock options and you're able to get in early enough in organizations, it is oftentimes those stock options that give you the opportunity, should the company achieve a successful exit to gain some financial separation and, uh, and benefit from those so that you can gain income that is beyond just your base salary and your bonus. And for me, I found out that, uh, that you know, one of the big reasons, you know, beyond just working with people who are more like-minded and, and entrepreneurial and, and innovative in nature, which is just a, a heck of a lot of fun, is, uh, is that those stock options can, can pay and they can pay big. And if you're able to get them, it's, a, it's, it's one of the things that you often don't get in any meaningful way in a large corporation. And even if you did, it just doesn't move that much. And so, uh, so that to me, that would be uh, one thing that I would highly advise someone to be looking at when they're thinking about joining uh, a startup company. That makes sense too, because I mean, you look at the early days of Apple, the early days of Microsoft, uh, I believe they augmented their paychecks with stock options, which in the early days, you're like, it's just a piece of paper. <laughs> but you fast forward to today, and it's like, I'm glad I jumped on board in the 1980s, because I am set. Uh, or, you know, Somebody else is like, man, I wish and I didn't sell off just that the, stock. It's <laughs> the Microsofts. Like those are the like grand slams. Yeah. But there's there's 46,000 startups in the United States, you know, that exist right now. And many of them, obviously, we're in the COVID right now, so there's more uncertainty. But there was a recent survey of startup CEOs, and the number one issue keeping them up at night was not growing revenue acquiring customers or gaining access to more capital, it was hiring really good people, oh, right? Wow. And wow. so, you know, you kind of look at that as a, as a backdrop and, 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 you know, now not all of those 46,000 are going to achieve good outcomes, but there's a decent number of them. Now you, you've got to know what to look for, but if you pick the right one, it could really be a game changer for you in your career. Yeah. And you mentioned there's like five key traits that somebody should look for when they're thinking about joining a startup. Um, what, without giving away the entire book, uh, what are some of those? Uh, ah, give away the whole book. Go ahead. He's yeah, going to make some sales. Uh, <laughs> I want people to buy the book. Yeah, uh, but what are some of those I, traits? There's a lot in the book. But let me – so if I was just at one or two su successful startups, maybe I'd be just flat out lucky. But – uh, you know, six, now seven, um, you know, I've learned a few things along the way. So here's what I look for when I join a startup company. So first, I'll look for quality people who share the same values. So 
what you'll find is, is that people reflect the company's culture. And if you don't think you could trust, respect, and admire the people that you're working with, then you really need to move on. And, and what you're looking right. for is a management team at that company that rocks your world. The second thing that I look for is a concept that fills a big market need. So the first thing is, is that particularly in the B2B world, uh, buyers don't spend money, and now more than ever, on nice-to-solve problems. They're going to spend money on must-solve problems. And right. what you really need to do is to take a look, get on Google, look at what the analysts have written, the influencers, about the concept and um, how big the market is, and then what sort of sets the company apart. And don't be afraid if you see there's lots of competition uh, there, there, there often is. I've worked in brutally competitive markets. I mean, for me, I'm more afraid if I see no competition, right. uh, because then I, I often might question if there's a market. I try to find a third that there's a great product that I believe in. So, um, does the offering uh, of the company resonate with you? Do you believe it? Would you purchase it or recommend it? And what you're ultimately focused in on here is you, you want to be able to go to work every day with a passion for what the company creates and your role in creating it. So if you can't get behind the, the, the product or service with enthusiasm, uh, move on. And then also that the startup is well-funded. Um, so naturally, you want to choose a startup that has a long enough runway to get off the ground. So do your best to make sure that it's properly capitalized so you have the best chance for growth and stability. And if you sort of look at those various factors and make sure all of those boxes are checked, there's a relatively good chance that the company could have a uh, successful uh, growth path in front of it and you can have a, a really nice career at that company. That's a good way to evaluate because sometimes you get caught up in either the flash of how they've sold it to you or the money or the potential or whatever it is. But having that checklist allows you to kind of go back and, and look into that individually. I'm the same way. I I couldn't go to work for, you know, say a Pepsi manufacturer because I don't like Pepsi. So it wouldn't make a lot of sense. My passion couldn't be behind it, but there's nothing wrong with Pepsi. It, it doesn't make that a bad thing. It just means it's not right for you. Right. And you know, one of the important things that you said is that, look, a lot of CEOs have great stories to tell, uh, right. but that doesn't mean that their company is really great. And so <laughs> if you look at those criteria, it sort of enables you to cut through the clutter and partly for me, then, you know, oftentimes that I hear is, okay, well, those are nice, but like, how do I figure that out? <laughs> yeah. And so there are some questions that I'd recommend that your listeners ask if they're interviewing at companies to help them to figure it out. And I can share a few if that would be of interest. Absolutely. So... Uh, these are some questions I oftentimes ask. So, for example, why is now the time for your company to exist? Uh, what milestones has your company achieved? What do you love about your team and why are you the ones to solve the problem? Tell me about a, a customer, a paying customer, and how, what was their journey to your company and what are the revenue expectations over the next year? 
and then I'll ask some company uh, questions around um, financing. So, uh, how much has the company raised, and what's its runway? Or who are your investors, and why did you choose them? And then this last one, to me, is a really important one because it gets at the values, which is really oftentimes hard to understand in an interview. And that is, if you weren't building your startup, what would you be doing? And oftentimes from there, you get a chance to learn about uh, the people that you're working with. And a lot of times you'll find you'll have a lot more in common than what you might have realized. Or maybe you'll find out that the person's like sort of a micromanager and, you know, workaholic and would be just a nightmare, right? And so those are some of the questions that you might ask to actually make that proper evaluation so that you can make the best decision for your own career. What kind of answer with your experience and, and, and your long track record, what kind of answer would a CEO give that would really sell you today where you are that would make you jump ship and say, okay, I'm, I'm on board. Well, I, it's really, there's no right or wrong per se, but what I sort of look at is kind of the balance and the perspective that the CEO is coming at. Like, so for example, if they're uh, uh, able to communicate with great confidence that their strategy for success and really how it's been based on some history so that it is not just something that is wishful thinking, that there has been progress along the way, that the strategy seems reasonable, and not they don't oftentimes have it all figured out. They may say, well, gee, you know, I need you to help with some of that. And then I kind of look for a CEO that views the company as almost extended family, right, where it's not well, those employees, that sort of thing, but it's it's more uh, of the culture. And the, and the startup could be even a little bit bigger uh, or you know, eensy-beensy, but I, I really look for someone that has that perspective. It's a perspective that I share. You spend a lot of time with those people. And, and, and so what that means is uh, oftentimes is that you're going to do the right things by the people that you work with, that you'll put them first. Uh, then uh, finally, uh, a, a CEO answers where you could see that they are focused on the customer, that they know who their target customer is, and they really understand them in depth. They know their customers as well as they know themselves, and uh, what are some of their challenges, and, and, and how their particular product or service responds to it sort of hand in glove. It's a combination of those things that give me uh, more confidence that uh, the CEO is, is on the right path. I, I like that because it's sometimes they're real passionate about their product, but it doesn't go outside of that. And there's times whenever and I know like sometimes on that show shark tank, it's like they're really passionate, but, they don't think in terms of culture or market. You know, I think everybody needs one of these. It's like, well, everybody doesn't need one of these because everybody's too different for there to be a universal product. But uh, how, do, how do they approach that? And uh, one of the things that you said that, uh, that kind of resonated with me is they know what they're not good at. Why do I need you? You know, if they're already good at whatever it is they're wanting you for, then you're probably not going to be that 
uh, capable of doing things, they're going to hold you into a very small rut, so to speak, to not be able to do what you do. Right. And I might even to drill in that farther is to say things like, okay, it's six months from now, we're having a beer celebrating amazing results that I delivered. What was the impact that I made on the organization? And even a question like that sort of uh, helps you to gain a better perspective of what success might look like. So you can find out, hey, is that exciting or is it achievable? That sort of thing. So just a, a good follow up and way to create further bond. That's such a great way to uh, kind of hone in on what the future holds rather than paycheck and those kind of things. So thanks a lot for joining us. If people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to uh, get a hold of you? And and obviously we want to push them to your book, Be a Startup Superstar. You can get that on Amazon and anywhere books are available, but what's the best way to find you and maybe connect with you? The best way to connect with me is one of two ways. So at the book's website, which is beastartupsuperstar.com, if you read the book and you submit a question, I respond to uh, all of them, by the way, uh, or uh, just through uh, LinkedIn Messenger. Either way, uh, uh, I will, without question, respond. Sounds great. And if people want to just drop by and see you, what's your home address that they can maybe just go to? <laughs> Don't do it, Steve. Don't do it. <laughs> uh, I am on the west end of Galveston as we speak. So there you go. That's about as much of a GPS as I'll give away. <laughs> there you go. Wander around, you might run yeah. into him. Yeah, Galveston's a small town, right? Yeah, there it's you like- go. Well, thanks a lot for joining us. It's been really good. I, I hope this helps somebody to form the questions. I know the book will go into way more depth. But uh, I would highly encourage people to reach out, get connected, and see how maybe y'all can work together. Thank you for having me. If you like everything you heard in this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at beyondtherut.com slash 227. There you'll find a link to Steve's book, as well as his website, his social media, and so much more. Now, the best way you can say thank you for listening to our show is to share us with a friend, a family member, a coworker, or that neighbor across the street. Your neighbor probably does not know you have this gift waiting for them, which is the gift of great conversation and maybe some awkward moments, but you have that and you can share this episode with them. Actually, on second thought, that's probably not a good idea. However, if you share this with others, that would be a great way to be a blessing to us. Now, we're so glad that you joined us this week and we're looking forward to you joining us again next week. But until then, go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap Showian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash Cap Show, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Cap Show team today and join me inside that community.